But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow going to be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary. After that first day, when you, they say you have cancer, there's a new person born. You know, there's this thing called new normal. I, th I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is going to be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late. Welcome to the REACH podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors, and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle behaviors can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. This week's episode of the REACH podcast is sponsored by the Lamstrom Foundation, which is a non-profit organization founded by Major League Soccer goalkeeper and Stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor, Matt Lamson. The mission of the Lamstrom Foundation is to provide difference-making financial, emotional, and motivational support to cancer patients and families in all stages of cancer treatment and recovery, as well as to fund proven cancer researchers. So for more information and regular updates on the Lamstrom Foundation and what they're doing, go ahead and follow the Lamstrom Foundation on Facebook or visit lamstrom.com today. Hey, welcome to episode 28 of the Reach Podcast. Today I'm chatting about or talking about a question that I've been asked quite a lot since I got onto the field and even more so since I started doing this podcast in patients and survivors will reach out to me and say I'm in wherever, I'm in South Dakota and I need to find a trainer and I can't find anyone with the experience and background uh, to deal with a cancer diagnosis so how can I, how can I find a trainer, where can I go for help and it's an important question, it's a good question and uh, it's kind of a difficult, que a difficult question to answer and I'll talk about a few of the reasons why. Um, as I said, the field is really new so I want to find a balance in giving a response between absolutely you should be looking for someone with uh, some sort of background, knowledge or experience in a cancer related fatigue, field fatigue where they understand the treatment, they understand some of the side effects, they have an idea of what you're going through and how to modify exercise around that. The other side of that is because the field is so new, I don't want to say you should only work with someone who has that experience because, to be honest, there are plenty of phenomenal trainers out there that don't have that background but have the ability and have the experience of working with different, different clinical populations of you know 20, 25 years of experience in the field and training different people that way that they could use that background knowledge and experience to tailor their program to whatever you're going through so it's kind of a fine line between absolutely finding someone who who again has that background experience in cancer but also not limiting yourself to only looking for someone with that background because again as i said there are plenty of phenomenal professionals out there with a wealth of experience in different areas and different clinical populations that will be able to be flexible and apply that knowledge and experience to the field because at the end of the day, that's pretty much what being certified in this area is. You'll have people who have some sort of background in exercise science or related field or a coach or whatever they are, and they'll get certified in that area. So they'll learn an area. So it's kind of, as with all certifications, if you go and find someone who, who has a certification that makes them uh, a cancer exercise specialist, for example, 
that doesn't necessarily make them a phenomenal trainer. That just is your way of saying that they've completed a course on these things we talk about, on cancer treatment, on some of the side effects, on how to program for cancer patients. There could be people without that cert that have just as good skills and abilities as someone with that cert. So I don't want to make that certification the be all and end all and what you should always search for, right? And so again, it's kind of, it's it's an interesting uh, response in in trying to find that balance. What I can say is that uh, there's several, at least in the States, there's several governing bodies who provide really strong certification. So when you're looking for a trainer, and again, take this with a grain of salt because I have met trainers and learned from trainers who have been 20, 25 years in the field and beyond who have had no certifications and no extensive college education. So having a college education, having certifications, again, doesn't always qualify you or make you a good trainer or coach or or you know consultant, whatever it is. But it does a pretty good job of weeding out a lot of people. So when you're looking for trainers, you generally want them to have some sort of formal education. Are they college educated? Have they taken a certain degree of courses in their field? Just like, just like anyone. If you know, if you're going looking for a lawyer, passing the bar does not always make you an excellent lawyer. But it's a pretty good indicator that you're pretty, pretty. You feel pretty good about the field, and and you're in it for, you know, for the long haul. So with certifications, as I said, there's a in the U.S. There's two main governing bodies, I'd say, NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, and ACSM, the American College of Sports Medicine. The two of them are pretty much the powerhouses in the States, and we've got NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, too. Kind of the three of them have the most extensive uh, certification requirements in that a lot of them require college degrees. You've got to do some sort of formal education. You've got to pass a pretty extensive exam. Uh, to get certified the nice thing about the acsm is that they actually brought out in 2011 or 12 they brought out a certification a certified cancer exercise specialist so a really cool certification as i said they took the leaders the world leaders in the field and they developed this course in teaching trainers and professionals about the pathophysiology the disease about different treatments the side effects of those treatments and how to modify exercise appropriately and really just the ins and outs and the nitty-gritty of working with cancer patients and survivors so again as i said someone with a certification like that the cancer exercise specialist from the acsm you can have a pretty it's a pretty good indication that they're they're somewhat proficient in the area they're definitely passionate about it and they're kind of in it for the long haul because they are specialist certifications you've got to go and be above and beyond a general cert to go and get these and the other cool thing about the acsm is that they have this pro finder so if you go on to uh, acsm if you google acsm pro finder uh, you'll be brought to a website where you it's literally a finder for professionals in the area so if you go on to uh, they have a drop down menu and you search for cancer exercise specialist there's up to and above i think 500 professionals right there right there uh, right now listed on there from all over the country in the United States and even some in Canada, some in Australia and as far as Hong Kong. So to be honest, that would be one of the first places I check out in terms of 
uh, where should you look for in finding an exercise professional because there are little pockets of of places in the states that have quite a few so you can kind of be sure that again if they have that certification um that they have some sort of background knowledge and expertise in this, this area the other thing i'll say to professionals if you're not if you are certified and you're not on that tracker make sure you put yourself on there there's mechanisms by which you can contact the acsm and be asked to put on that registry because i guarantee 500 there's, there's way more than 500 people certified with that certification in, in a cancer exercise specialist because it's been around for five years and you know i I know plenty of people who are certified and even more who are who are studying for it now so i think that number is probably well underestimating what is actually out there so that's uh so that's kind of one of the things you want to think about in terms of looking for certifications and as i said the acsm is is tends to be uh, a gold standard in terms of working with clinical populations um, but certainly it's by no means an indicator of a good and bad coach and we'll talk about that a little bit later but the other really difficult part about looking for someone with a background and expertise in, in cancer is that a lot of the the quote unquote experts tend to be researching this right and so you know you look at the likes of Katie Schmitz or Rob Newton or Kristen Campbell up in Canada, they are all really, really busy researching these different mechanisms, looking at how exercise can affect treatment, looking at how it can affect survivorship, so on and so forth. So they don't have the time to to be a personal trainer. They don't have the time to, to coach people or do consults. Um, and they've actually gone above and beyond that where a lot of them at the higher end of research are educating professionals so when you look for the people who are utmost experts in the area they they really can't offer a lot of services to you because they are so busy and they're really um their main focus in research or is research i should say the upside of that is that because they're always interested in research they're always recruiting for different studies and i've said this a few times on the podcast but one of the easiest ways this field is growing rapidly and there's more researchers popping up all over the country and all over the world who are researching different types of physical activity in different types of cancer so my first or one of my suggestions would be to if you're particularly if you're in a larger metropolitan area look up the main universities in your area and see if they've got a kinesiology department or a medical department um, or even a physical therapy department and see if they're doing any sort of studies on rehabilitation in cancer, exercise science or exercise studies in cancer, um, even contact the department because a lot of times uh, they can have difficulty advertising as well as they maybe could. So some of their studies might fly under the radar. So by reaching out to these places, it could be a good way for you to find uh, different things that are going on. So they're kind of two of the main reasons why it's so difficult to find trainers with this experience and one the field is so new that there's just not a lot out there and two a lot of the people who are you know the experts are are really well versed in this area are so busy with research that they don't have time to be a personal trainer on the floor so then it comes back to okay well i want a good trainer who can may not have this background but can apply their uh, knowledge skills and abilities to what what I have and my condition so that comes with just kind of being able to sift through 
what makes a good trainer a good trainer what makes a bad trainer a bad trainer and i'll kind of give the example in in a lot of people will come and and say for example uh, physical therapy doesn't work for me pt doesn't work for me it's quite a common kind of complaint that a lot of pts tend to hear is that um if they have someone who who will have a previous pt session or or a physical therapist and say well what's the point of me going to you because i did pt before and it didn't work and when you get into the field you see it's a lot more nuanced than uh than just pt is pt is pt you know just if we go back to the lawyers a lawyer is not a lawyer is not a lawyer you would have you know family practice you'd have criminal law you could have immigration law um you could have lawyers who pass the bar and stop learning and you'd have lawyers that will continually go to conferences continually educate themselves keep progressing as a professional so just like any profession your your physical therapy your exercise your your personal training experience is going to differ dramatically based on a variety of factors one of which is is the coach themselves and their programming so when people say PT doesn't work for me it's not necessarily that PT doesn't work it might have been your relationship with that physical therapist didn't work it might have been the protocol didn't work but I think one of the biggest sources of frustration in the fitness area is when people throw in the towel because it didn't work because it's it's not about if it works or not it's about finding what works for you and that's a combination of things in learning about how you work learn about what your goals are learn about your lifestyle in terms of your schedule what best fits um what you've got week to week along with your goals how can you merge the two what do you enjoy to do how do you like to be motivated is a huge thing you need to be able to work with someone who fits your it's just like any other relationship working relationship or whatever it is when you're looking to get a personal trainer or a coach you're also looking to see if they're a fit for you not all trainers are the same in terms of their background their experience and their personality and some of that is going to be a better fit to you than others and one of the the biggest things that you'll see that starts to emerge is that a lot of professionals take their background interests into their career and it's not necessarily a bad thing it just means that people have different perspectives if you take someone who was a cross-country runner at a division one level in the states and they went on to be a personal trainer more often than not they'll probably focus more on aerobic based work you know programming different types of running programs or cycling programs or whatever it is um if you've got someone who has a heavy strength training background or even within strength training you look at someone who's a power lifter so they do real big heavy lifts squat bench deadlift versus someone who's a bodybuilder uh, versus someone who was maybe you know a soccer player we're all going to have different backgrounds that we take into our programming and of course we use we use our knowledge skills and abilities again to kind of modify our program based to you but those biases are still there conscious or unconscious and and you tend to have more familiarity and comfort in in those kind of specific areas so again if someone came to me and said I understand the value of strength training, but I've been a runner my whole life, um, and I don't like strength training. And if if I was to turn around and say, well, tough, strength training is the only thing you should be doing, and it's the most important thing you should be doing, and they say, okay, and I give them a strength training program, and they hate it, 
because they told me they were going to hate it and they they end up quitting because I gave them five days a week of strength training there's no point in me doing that I need to be able to be flexible to them but at the same time understanding the limits of my expertise and understanding the limits of my scope of practice and that I'm much more proficient and I'm much more comfortable and I'm better at programming strength training programs or, or kind of overall wellness programs maybe combining the two of them than I wear say you had a cross-country runner come to me and say i want to do a marathon in six months sure i could dig into books and i could kind of pull from my experience and say well this is sort of how you'd probably periodize your program or i as a professional could develop a network in the community and say i know joe blogs down the road who is a cross-country coach he's also has a background in exercise science and he'd be much more proficient and much better able to suit you and guide you through your your journey than I would. So I'll refer it out into my network. And that's been a really valuable lesson for me in in establishing that network and having that transparency with people I work with because it ensures the benefit of both parties in that the people I do end up working with, I know they're a good fit, so I know the relationship's gonna be beneficial versus um, taking anyone and everything and again, having those relationships where maybe my style of coaching or consulting or, or personal training doesn't suit you, so we kind of end up clashing. Or maybe my expertise in a certain area isn't proficient enough, and again, we end up clashing. By establishing a network of, of for example, aerobic coaches, registered dietitians, physical therapists, that I can refer out to, and we can collaborate and develop this network, it ensures that the people who are going to each of us trust what we're doing, they trust that they're going to get a valuable experience and and ultimately their experience is going to be better because they're going to be with the right people. So in terms of looking for coaches, you want someone who, who will give you that transparency, at least in my opinion, who before they jump off the bat, they at least get on a call, they meet you for a coffee, they do some sort of introduction just to see what you're about, see where you're at in your in your journey see what your goals are, see how you like to be motivated and and kind of go from there. For example, a lot of a lot of coaching now is moving online and less so in the cancer world, but certainly um, in the general fitness industry, a lot of people are online coaches and there's a lot of people that get a ton of value from having an online coach and having consistent check-ins and having a program built for them and they just want to turn up and, and do the work and not have to think about it. But the other part of that is online coaching is very difficult, especially if you haven't had a lot of personal training experience. From a professional perspective I'm talking about, it's very hard to go from having never trained anyone and never having that kind of hands-on experience in the trenches and working with people and problem solving and trying to figure out different exercise routines to then go online and try and do it from a distance because it's even harder because you don't have that one-on-one contact to develop a rapport to develop that trust to to kind of be there for them and, and watch them work through their frustrations so in my experience in my opinion i think online coaches are suited to intermediates and above what i mean by that is is someone who has a couple of years resistance extra or a couple of years exercise experience of whatever they're being coached at so they're so they're able to kind of take the information they're able to apply it they don't 
where where it kind of falls short would be if you're a complete novice you've never squatted before you've never deadlifted before you've never been in a gym before getting an online coach may not be appropriate because it takes a lot of work to develop those movements and, and be proficient in them and make sure they're safe so if you were emailing me back and forth and even if we had our initial skype consult it's very difficult to do that straight off the bat just over email trying to coach you you know you can include videos that you would send to me every now and again but there's nothing that stops you going to the gym on a tuesday night and saying well kieran told me to deadlift i'm going to go in here and the risk of injury in my opinion is a lot higher if you are a novice having an online coach where they're just telling you to go and lift whatever um so again you kind of take that with a grain of salt in terms of searching for for a coach or, or where you're going to get your education or where you're going to get your your training from and I suppose on that note, another important part of, of looking for a trainer, again, my opinion, would be to make sure or look for someone that assesses a lot of different things. So you may go to a trainer for a certain reason. Uh, you know, Maybe your wife's at you because you're getting too heavy. You need to go back to the trainer. Maybe your doctor's at you because your cholesterol's too high. You need to get fit. You may have a certain reason you're going to, the, to a, a personal trainer or a coach but they should have some sort of screening process to be able to not just not just go with what you want, but maybe give you a picture of what you need that you may be missing. For example, maybe you come to the trainer because you get winded going up five flights of stairs and you say, well, my fitness is off, I need to get fitter. And they give you an assessment and they find out that your leg strength is too, you know, is, isn't where it needs to be. So they kind of combine uh, your leg strength with your fitness program so it's things like that where um, the more extensive the screening process is at the start of the program the more it takes away for from surprises down the road and the better able the professional will be able to tailor that program to you uh, for example when I give my screenings I'll ask a ton of questions on your medical history are you a diabetic if you're a diabetic, your program is going to look a lot different, and my exercise or my instructions for maybe what you eat and and how you go about structuring your exercise is going to look different to someone who's not a diabetic. Have you had a history of heart attacks? Have you had you know any sort of of surgery that we need to worry about? Do you have any current injuries? Things like that that can again, you start off fairly global. And it's getting, it's trying to, it's difficult to get to know someone in the space of an hour, an hour and a half consult and, and assessment period. But you're trying to get as much information as you can to really narrow it down. Because ultimately, as I've kind of talked about, the, the program you get initially will not look the, the same as the program you're doing six months from then, as the program you're doing a year from then. So we're trying to you're going to consistently be figuring out what works what doesn't can we change it can we modify it how can we keep pro progressing and assessments take a lot of the guesswork out of that and you know uh, i've got sean arndt who's a, who's a good friend up at Rutgers, always talks about this idea if you're not assessing you're guessing and he's he's so true in that saying and you need to be able to to find out where you're at and a lot of trainers will will have the rebuttal and say well i don't like assessing because there's no real need and you can kind of see their progress and how they feel and so on and so forth which is a fair rebuttal in terms of 
these objective measurements don't capture the full picture. They don't capture your mindset and how you feel and and what exercise does in terms of a release or a therapeutic aspect. But at the same time, you do need to have periodical assessments to to maybe change up the program, to give you a source of motivation in terms of the progress you've made, or even if you're starting to slow down a little bit, how do we change things? And again, it just takes so much guesswork out of the program. It gives it a structure that I think what that's what separates a lot of high quality programming for from kind of lower quality programming. So that's kind of my perspective on on finding a trainer and, and there's different things like their philosophy and as I said their their experiences and what they've taken from their their life experiences and their background as a professional will influence how they work with you. And it's it's not always and it's not it's not uh I'm gonna generalize here, but normally or you'll you'll typically see newer trainers tend to be this is the only way. And I fell into this uh my first few years as a trainer ten years ago I started off in a YMCA and I was this is the only way you should train. Everyone should lift heavy, everyone should always squat, everyone should bench. And you know, you, you <laughs> the people who have that mindset I think just haven't worked with enough people and haven't seen that different methods work for different people. So it's almost like again as I said, it tends to be a trait of newer trainers in that they have one style and they have uh, one philosophy and everyone should do X. And those are the ones where <laughs> if you do X, great, jump on their program, you'll have a great time. But if you're looking for something a little different, you might be better off finding a trainer who is a little bit more flexible in their approach, is a little bit more relaxed in understanding that we're not all elite athletes. We're not all focused on this sole goal of improving our fitness. At the end of the day, people are busy, they're stressed, they've got a ton of things going on in their life that a lot of times we're throwing in an extra stressor. We're throwing in, uh, you know, obviously a physiological stressor, but we're throwing in something that if you haven't bought into the idea of exercise, it can be a difficult thing. We've seen this in our behavior change trials in terms of of offering services. In, in some of our behavior change trials, we will give people access to personal trainers, to registered dietitians, to professionals who will work with them over a series of weeks and months to ensure they're proficient and safe and they understand the the benefits of exercise, they understand how to do the exercises safely, they understand how to progress their exercise, and then we'll kind of slowly titrate ourselves away and let them continue on, and they'll get, we'll give them free access to a gym. And even with all that resources, all those resources, and even with all those kind of different areas of expertise at their hands, some people still struggle to make it work. And that's the reality of it. Some people still struggle to make exercise or physical activity a regular part of their life and if we have this all or known principle the people who are all in will get a lot of benefit out of it and it's really motivational and it's great because they're of that same mindset but the problem is if you've got people who are on the fence or even on the other side where they're apprehensive or they're not even considering exercise a lot of the times that all or known principle isn't going to work for them there needs to be this pliability, this flexibility where you're meeting them in the middle or even you're meeting them 90% of the time. You know, and, and when I talk about, as I was first getting my education, really starting to get into into detail into this, the first year of my master's, I took a periodization class and 
Steve Rossi was a great instructor and again I still had the mindset and like you know everyone's got to everyone's got to really push themselves and that's the only way and he was kind of explaining you know there's some people where the goal is just to get to the gym you know we'll figure it out once you get there but in terms of of developing habits and changing behavior and and instilling some sort of intrinsic motivation just being able to figure out how to set your shoes down by the door and packing your gym bag the night before and giving yourself that mindset of okay i'm going to get to the gym that's more important than how much you squat so it's it's been really refreshing for me over the course of of my experience as a coach and a trainer in seeing that evolution in myself and i and i tend to look for that in others in are they flexible in their approach do they understand the bigger picture and that not every single person who walks in their door is going to want the all or none is going to want the heavy programming can they modify their program to fit you you look at uh, sammy mansfield who we had in the podcast a while back who does crossfit and cancer she works with a lot of patients and survivors in a crossfit gym and people hear crossfit and they hear oh there's a lot of injuries and they hear you know they they pro their programming is off but, and we had this discussion a few weeks ago. I think CrossFit has done more to get people active and develop a community than a lot of exercise approaches we've had in the States and, and in the world in terms of global exercise. So, you know, CrossFit has its limitations in certain regards, but Sammy is not asking cancer patient survivors to do a heavy power clean. Sammy is trying to get them in and see where they're at and just make sure they move better, make sure they feel better, make sure they're going through treatment right. And that's another really important uh, aspect to consider as you're thinking about who you should go to, particularly if they don't have the, the cancer background. In terms of thinking about when it's most important to have a trainer with that background and experience, I would say before, during, or immediately after treatment. So. I've worked with cancer patients who are, are, I've worked with cancer survivors. So I've worked with cancer survivors who are five, six, seven, eight years out of treatment. And for all intents and purposes, they're pretty much back to quote unquote normal. They still struggle with some of the long-term side effects that certainly have to be modified or, or accommodated to. But most, most of the time they move similar to a lot of people. They, they have, you know, a lot of people tend to be older. They'll have some sort of comorbidity, some injuries you got to work around. But they're all kind of natural processes that you go through as you're working with gen pop or general population. Where it becomes really important is, again, you've kind of seen the team of the podcast, is, is the periods before and during treatment are the ones that you really have to take account of the side effects of treatment. So where it's important to have someone with this experience is for example during chemotherapy do they understand how chemo works do they understand the infusion process and how you're going to feel over the next few days do they understand how to uh, program the exercise you know I had a young I had a young trainer uh, come to me four years ago she was working with a, a, a lad who had prostate cancer going through chemo and he was doing three fitness classes a day trying to kind of battle it out and tough it out and he was getting sicker and sicker because of what chemo does to your immune system and it suppresses it puts you at a higher risk of infection 
um, he was essentially just really driving himself into the ground. And our first thing to do was take him off two of those sessions. You know, instead of doing two or three sessions a day, we went to two or three sessions a week. And he found that he was still getting the kind of uh, psychological benefit of exercise and giving himself that control. But he wasn't putting himself at an intense risk of injury. And you've got to find that balance, particularly in treatment of, of yeah, pushing yourself, but understanding the goals of, of exercise and during treatment are just to, just to do it just to, to feel good, to get your head right, to buffer some of the side effects of treatment. It's not to hammer yourself. It's not to to make significant improvements in fitness. It's to give yourself a starting point and, and keep where you're at to the point when you finish treatment, some of the acute side effects start to wear off and you can kind of start to really take your fitness up again. Another interesting part of this discussion then is, is surgery. And I, I talked to a friend a couple of weeks ago who ran into a lady who had a double mastectomy at at a at a hospital and this was she had a double mastectomy a month ago she had no recommendation for physical therapy she walked out of surgery and went into chemo a few weeks down the road and just was going through treatment and no one told her to go to, to physical therapy and here's the thing that frustrates all of us is that you take cancer out of this if you had someone who, who had an ACL repair and that doctor, that surgeon, didn't give them any sort of physical therapy instructions, didn't give them any sort of referral, and they were left to go off out into the world and they retore their ACL two months down the road, that hospital is at risk of a lawsuit due to negligence because how much evidence we have that that the, the immediate point post-surgery is the most important to get a physical therapist, to get back on your feet, to to avoid the buildup of scar tissue that will impede range of motion and things like that. So it it's so frustrating to hear stories like that. But on the other side, um, when you're looking at who should I go to, I would almost always go to a physical therapist over uh, a professional in the in the health field, just for the plain reason that. PTs are, are by nature designed to treat issues related to surgery and range of motion and restore function in that arm or the leg or whatever it is. A PT is going to be better suited to deal with those immediate consequences of surgery than say if you went into a personal trainer. And to be honest, most good trainers or coaches will refer you back to a PT anyway. But again, it comes so important that the, you'll hear this from any good professional that the 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 days weeks immediate post-surgery are critical to the long-term health of that joint or that limb or the affected area so again trying to find a, a really good pt in your area maybe with specialty in whatever limb is affected you know for example ohio state we've got a great system we've got uh, upper limb physical therapists we've got lower limb physical therapists and we're able to to appreciate how good they are and kind of get those referral systems in place so again it's it's as I said, it's it's a very difficult question to answer, and it's something that I kind of continuously find myself um, answering, so to speak, in in talking to different people and how how do I find a good professional? How do I go find a good trainer? You know, pretty much with with any profession, you want to avoid the gimmicky ones. You know, you want to avoid uh, the billboard the billboard lawyer or the lawyer who's got his face in your urinals, like they do on the on the TV shows. You, you want to avoid 
coaches or trainers who are looking for some sort of quick sell are they trying to pawn supplements off you are they trying to get you bought into their program no matter what i'm fortunate enough in my career to to have my research as a focus to where my time to train people is limited and what that means is that i can be really i can be selective in in who i work with and that again as i said benefits the clients because i'll only work with someone who i feel i can do them justice that i can donate the time and the resources to them to see them successful as opposed to you know you look at a young hungry professional trying to make it in the field and they're willing to take anyone and everyone and they're looking to just sell programs off the bat because maybe they're struggling you get into kind of the the gray areas of fitness there where the intention isn't always as pure as it comes off so again it 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 comes back to finding someone who suits you from an exercise perspective from a relationship perspective from uh, understanding what you're going through to understanding how we can make this fit your lifestyle and as i said and i'll kind of finish with this because it's a really important point having an education and having certifications are excellent but those alone do not guarantee a good trainer and they don't guarantee expertise at the same time not having those certifications and not having that education doesn't disqualify professionals it doesn't make them a bad trainer in fact i've seen countless excellent professionals who don't have certifications or they've had them and they let them expire or they started training when they were 15 and they just worked their way up through various internships that and they've had experience at all sorts of different levels that have given them a wealth of knowledge and wealth of of tools to pick from when they're working with you so again it's it's kind of a it's a it's a hard question to answer and it's a hard one to figure it out but again it just comes back to you not writing off the field based on one trainer one program one experience comes down to you being able to understand that all trainers are continuously learning for the most part people are going to have different backgrounds perspectives and expertise it's just about finding one that fits you and being able to continuously reach out to different people look for referrals see which one best suits you and that's probably going to lead to the most successful program for you both physically and and mentally so that's pretty that's pretty much it folks again it was just kind of a rambling of my thoughts as i said i've been getting a lot of questions and emails from people reaching out to me and saying who where do i look for trainers or who do i get in contact or or experience some some sort of frustration not being able to find this so hopefully i've gotten or given you some information at least from my perspective in one what makes a good coach two the challenges in in why it can be difficult to find people with this expertise and three maybe giving you some direction in terms of what to look for in in coaches and how to to look for an exercise program for yourself so thanks again for tuning in folks we've got a couple of really cool interviews coming up here in the next few weeks um, that i'm excited to get out so thanks again and we'll see you soon